This is Amstigator, a podcast founded on purpose, but focused on the path to get there. Experience is the best teacher, right? And in this season of Amstigator, we're going all in on female perspective of women and wisdom as we answer one specific question. What's the lesson here? You'll hear from my best girlfriends and favorite female collaborators as we share deeply about what we're here to learn and teach as we guide other women to purpose. Welcome back. I am so glad you pressed play. I'm glad you're taking the time for yourself to do this kind of soul-strengthening work. And I do see this podcast as soul time. I put my heart and soul into writing, editing, and producing every single one of these episodes every single week. And I know you can feel that, which is why you came back every episode. And I'm super grateful for that. I care deeply about sharing wisdom. And I feel like there's just so much wisdom in the life experience of other people. We can all learn so much from others. And this podcast is here to be the vehicle for that, to like transmute wisdom to you in that way. I created Amstigator because I wanted a platform to share deeper conversations with people. I'm a news anchor. I interview people. I tell stories for a living. But in early 2021, I started to feel like the greatest depths of my conversations were entirely being lost to tight time limits in a newscast. I mean, it's fine. Newscasts are just facts, just surface. I've anchored for 16 years. I know what they are. But I found that I just really longed for depth. So that's when Amstigator was born. I wanted to create a place where I could have full conversations about life and past experiences that shape the future and how so often we find purpose through pain, through curiosity, through change, through the moments when we think we might break, but somehow we get through it. I do think people get freaked out by the word purpose. Actually, I know they do. My own husband is one of those people. For some of us, we find purpose because we experience something and we want to help others get through the same thing. And then for other people, it's purpose through excitement. You just find something you're really excited to do. You love to do it. It means you're meant to do it. Okay? That's purpose. And it's exciting. It's fun. It's cup-filling work. And then there are some of us who find it in the depths, in the darkness. It's like self-realization was the purpose all along. You know, there are so many ways that we get to purpose, and we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to be anxious to find it. We're just meant to live and grow and change and evolve. And that's what Amstigator is all about, the evolution of self on a pathway to purpose. It's a noun, by the way. It's a mashup of two words that I just sort of created. So amplify and instigator are the two main words here. Amplify is to bring intensity to something. Instigator is a person who initiates. So when you mash those two words together, you get amstigator, which is an intense person who initiates change. So that's what you're doing. I'm an amstigator. And by listening to this podcast, you're an amstigator. We're initiating positive change in our lives in a way that makes us better, makes us healthier, makes us stronger. So I'm glad you're back for more of this high-grade wisdom that I'm dishing out every week. In the last episode, episode 30, which I released August 2nd, I gave you a few sneak peeks into what I had planned for season three. And at that point, season three was just concept. You know, I, I could see it in my mind, but I hadn't done anything with it. I hadn't recorded anything, but I felt strongly that lessons was the direction I needed to go. 
And I'm someone who's very decisive. I have a gut feeling, I mean, pretty much every situation, okay? So when I know, I know I'm not a flip-flopper. So when I have that gut feeling, like I had for season three, I knew I needed to change the focus. I needed to move away from purpose as a destination and instead focus on the lessons we learn along the way to purpose. Now, in earlier episodes, my questions to each person would really give you an understanding of the kind of life experience someone had lived. So, you know, best time in your life, worst time in your life, something about your nature you continue to overcome. But I found that even those questions weren't deep enough for me. So I found myself just in the last couple of months doing some revisioning of Amstigator, really zeroing in on one specific question, which is what we're going to answer in every single episode this season. What's the lesson here. And if you listen to episode 30, you know the story about the vision I had about going all in on women and the lessons we're here learning because everyone's lesson is different. And I see women as real containers of wisdom, even just, gosh, I mean, mere survival, right? I mean, there are things only other women can teach you, things about your cycle, pregnancy, childbirth, breastfeeding. Throughout human history, women have been the nourishers. And there's an intuition that goes along with that, a deep intuition. But even deeper than that, there's always been a feminine wisdom. There's always been divinity and beauty there. It's love, it's balance, it's permission, it's allowing, and it's life-giving. It's just so beautiful. I'm here to tell you, I've completely missed all of that until recently. There has been a deficit, not because we as a society have forgotten how to do those things, because certainly there's some people out there who are just like mavens at these feminine energies, and it's just really, really beautiful. But I think for a long time, those things just haven't been valued. I was raised to achieve, to do, to be, to have influence, and in some ways, I would say toxic levels of achievement. And because of that, I pushed my body until I ran it into the ground and that's what today's episode's all about, how August 2022 changed my life. And the last month's been wild for me. I was hospitalized multiple times for days at a time. I just realized today, I haven't pumped gas in a month. I haven't been inside a grocery store in a month. I haven't read a single news article in a month. I literally have no idea what's happening in the world because my world stopped. So let's think back to August 2nd. It's an important day. I released the episode teasing ahead to season three. It was a Tuesday. I always release on Tuesdays. I told you the focus. I was taking off the month of August because I was going to start shooting and producing the next several episodes. You know, that was part of the plan. I thought I was doing right. I thought I was taking a break, getting ahead, being a model for balance and order. So like I already knew there's not going to be any episodes released in August. Three days later, On Friday, August 5th, my life took a dramatic turn. I started to have pain in my abdomen. It was in the lower right-hand quadrant. Initially, I was like, wow, this is a weird muscle cramp. Kind of felt like a side stitch, you know, when you're running. So I went to bed that night, and I was like, oh, I'll be fine in the morning. It'll be fine. But I woke up Saturday morning, very next morning, at this point, it's August 6th, and that pain was still there. And immediately, I just knew something's wrong. Like something is really wrong. Like, not right. It's wrong. 
Now, remember, I'm a decisive person. I'm also deeply intuitive when it comes to my body. I've known I was pregnant every time before I missed a period. And say what you want about that being impossible. I knew because I felt it. I felt different. In 2018, I nearly died five days after the birth of my second child. Something wasn't right. I went to the hospital. Every test showed I was totally normal. They wanted to send me home. And I just kept saying, something's wrong. Find another test to give me. Something's wrong. And they did eventually find what was wrong. They found my lungs were filled with fluid. My heart was enlarged. I had something called severe postpartum preeclampsia. And if I hadn't gone to the hospital that night, heart attack, stroke, death, bam, that fast. Preeclampsia during pregnancy is somewhat common. Postpartum preeclampsia is somewhat rare. It affects only 700 women every year. Women die from that all the time. Again, that was 2018. I knew. So the point is here, I know when something's not right in my body. I know that something wasn't right last month. I just knew it. So early on a Sunday morning, so by this point, August 7th, 4 a.m., I drive myself to the hospital. I left my husband and our three kids asleep, and I just went in because I was like, yeah, this is not normal. Now, to be totally honest with you, I thought I was just going in for some tests. Nothing would be urgent because I'd only had the pain for not even 36 hours. It wasn't even awful pain, but I knew something wasn't right. I just felt it not in the literal gut, like I felt it in my spiritual gut, right? Like, ooh, something's wrong here. At the time, I thought, yeah, if something's really, really wrong, though, I'd be scheduled for some follow-up testing, maybe a procedure the following day on Monday, but, you know, whatever. But that wasn't the case. A CT scan in the ER that morning showed my appendix was really, really angry, and I needed emergency surgery before it burst. Just an hour earlier, I told the doctor, hey, um, I need to be out by 10 o'clock this morning. I'm supposed to be downtown today, waving the green flag for the IndyCar Street Race in Nashville. So I kind of have to go. Can we keep this, you know, tight? So when he came back in with the news about like, hey, you're going to have emergency surgery, he was like, um, you're not waving any flags today. And I was immediately really sad. Um, yeah, I was missing the race. But I also wasn't going to be there the next morning now for my daughter's first day of first grade. You know, my role as her mom is to be there all the time, right? To be there for her no matter what. And here I am laid up in the hospital. So I definitely cried about that. But I was like, okay, chin up. You caught it. You go home tomorrow. It's fine, right? People get appendectomies all the time. It didn't burst. You're okay. So I get the surgery. They catch my appendix before it bursts. Surgeon says, oh, yeah, definitely would have happened within 24 hours. So, hey, congratulations for you. Trust in your body. And I'm released from the hospital the next day. I go home, but I could never get my pain under control. I didn't know that that was a bad sign, but it was. Appendectomies are supposed to be something that you only need pain management like maybe a day or two. And the rest is like, hey, just rest. Take some ibuprofen. You're going to be okay. And you go back to work within a week. Some people go back within three or four days. But I was bad, right? Like, I, I did not feel okay. I could never get my pain under control. Fast forward five days post-surgery on a Friday night. I'm literally writhing in pain. I can't stand up straight. I'm doubled over. I have to lay down because I'm beyond hurting. I'm actually literally crying in agony. Like, as an adult, when do you cry in pain? It's really unusual. So at that point, my husband's like, yeah, this doesn't seem normal, so I'm going to take you back to the hospital. <laughs> we get there, they scan me again, and discover I've developed an abscess 
in the same place where my appendix was. So basically some rogue bacteria embedded itself in my abdominal wall and flourished. So much so, it was the size of an orange. Not a mandarin, a legit orange. <laughs> so they start pumping me up with IV narcotics. I can still feel everything. This was literally, no joke, the worst pain I've ever felt in my whole life. It was excruciating. No amount of stuff took the pain away. It was traumatizing, and the procedure to drain the abscess was traumatizing because I could still feel it happening. I was laying there, moaning in pain. It was bad. In these drainage procedures, they drain the abscess and then put a drain into my abdomen. So imagine an eight-inch long straw inserted horizontally across your belly, but it's inside your abdominals. And then the straw is connected to a plastic bag outside your body bag collects anything gross that's coming from where the abscess was. I'm just going to tell you, it sucked. It was painful. It was gross. It was smelly. And I just lay there in the hospital for three days after that, barely able to walk, definitely can't sit up on my own. I'm mostly alone except for a couple of angel friends who would visit me and the occasional visit from my husband. But he had to work and take care of kids. So like, I, I mean, I'm alone. The hardest part was I was really anxious. Like, I dealt with a lot of anxiety there. I mean, so alone. I, I was manic, and I couldn't stay in the hospital another second. Like, I was on the final day there that they're like, hey, today's the day you're going out. You're going to go home today. I was ready to rip all that crap out of my arms, like rip the IV, take off the leads, you know, for heart monitoring and stuff, because I was losing it. I could not quiet my mind. I tried binging shows. I tried sleeping. I tried staring at the ceiling. I tried all the narcotics they would offer me. Nothing helped because I couldn't overcome myself. By that point, I'd spent six of the last nine days in the hospital for two different events, one routine, one rare. People don't develop abscesses from appendectomies. Like I have, I have to make that very clear to you. This was already unusual. I also had bruises, track marks up and down my forearms and on my hands from all the missed pokes. I literally 11 successful and unsuccessful attempts at IVs and blood work, plus all the pain, all the narcotics. If the lesson was stillness in that hospitalization, I missed it. I failed. I mean, like miserably failed. I wasn't processing anything that was happening. I was resisting it hardcore. Finally, I get sent home. The drain is still attached. So I still have that yucky bag. Like I, and, and my kids, like, what are you going to do with toddlers running around with a bag full of your inside? It's just gross, right? A dear angel friend of mine brought me home from the hospital. And when I walked into my house, I just, I just lost it. I just cried. I mean, there was so much sadness and loneliness and, and grief. I mean, I cried for days, just like drop of a hat, like on a whim, just I'd be mid-sentence and I would just cry. Uh, I, I cried about what I'd missed while I was in the hospital, because my world stopped. Everyone else's kept going. I was really terrified to go back to the hospital, terrified of facing the noise in my head again that I was not able to overcome. I was busy letting that record play in my head how close I'd come again to having a major issue. It was like 2018 all over again. I mean, I was hearing my doctor say, heart attack, stroke, death, heart attack, stroke, death. And then hearing these new words from my doctors, wow, you're so healthy, this is so rare. I'm like, this is not making me feel better. Because there's only so many times a person can hear, this is rare, when it comes to their health. I'd reached my limit. 
I'm like, I, I don't, I don't care how rare it is. Fix me. I want to feel better. After that, I just, I realized there was major trauma that I needed to heal. The old trauma from 2018, new issues being piled on top, like present day issues. Everything was being dredged up again. And I had never dealt with that stuff before. And I knew that I needed to change that right now. You know, I started really looking at how I'd handled the last two weeks. The first hospitalization, I opted to just stay conked out, like literally just try to pretend it never happened and then go back to the status quo. Second hospitalization, I was just entirely afraid. I was manic. I was anxious. I was angry. I was so desperate to get home, to get away from the record player of close call. You could have died. I just couldn't handle it. And when you start evaluating those things, like just really anything on that life and death continuum things start to get really scary. And for me, just laying there in the hospital bed threatened everything I was. I mean, I'm healthy. I'm productive. I'm quick thinking. I value what I create. Laying there took all that away from me. It introduced what I've never been comfortable with, the unknown, the chance I might not get better. And those hospitalizations were a chance for me to learn something about myself I just missed it. But that's the funny thing about lessons, you know? I mean, they just keep getting served up to you until you learn them, you know? They just keep coming right back until you finally see the pattern. And I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm old enough to see patterns. I keep being presented with literally life-threatening situations that knock me down. Actually, I've had three, in fact, all in my 30s. But I, I didn't learn the very specific lesson that was here until now. What does confinement and hospitalization teach a person like me? Hmm? Someone who's positive, optimistic, who's healthy, who's a workhorse, who's so proud of being so productive. Someone who values output more than anything. What does it teach me? Well, that my have your cake and eat it too way of life is probably killing me. And this hospitalization was the first time I noticed the lesson. I should have learned that lesson years ago, which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do it all. Sure, sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. You can do it all. You know you can. Everyone else knows you can. But at what cost? So when I got home from the hospital that second time, I started asking myself that very question that had been in the front of my mind before I ever even got sick. What's the lesson here? What's the lesson here? I just kept saying it over again. What's the lesson? What's the lesson? And immediately I knew the first lesson was that I had unhealed trauma about nearly dying that I had suppressed and I needed help to work through. I, I couldn't do it on my own. But then the second lesson was that I'm valuing productivity to the point that it's now hurting me. I don't know how to rest. I don't know how to take it easy. I've placed my own value on all the things that I can do at once. Like all the things, all the things I can manage. Yes, I can do it all. I have been doing it all for a long time. But at what cost? So after a couple of days of being home from the hospital, I started feeling good. I felt like, oh, you know, I learned this lesson from this time. Story was over. Things are good. Okay, great. Let's keep going back to life. But it wasn't. I had more to learn, it turns out. And it came when I had to be hospitalized a third time. Yep. Before I went in, like I, I, just, I just remember laying there on the couch when I realized I had to go back to the hospital and I just cried and, and pleaded with my husband in tears, please don't make me go back. Please go. I, I can't go back. Please don't make me go. I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, I still had all the bruises up and down my arms. I mean, it was the reminder 
multiple times a day when I'd look down. I was like, I can't feel that pain again. I can't do it. Don't make me go. I can't. I can't have another IV. None of it. Uh Uh-uh. Like, and it just, all the anxiety came back. It was bad. But exactly one week after I'd gotten home from the hospital the second time, I was admitted again for a recurrence of the abscess. Now, I need to express to you how exceedingly rare this is. Like, so rare that I was told by one of the people leading my care, "Um, in 15 years, I've only heard of this happening. You're the first person I've actually seen myself who had a recurrence of an abscess. Like, that's how exceedingly rare it is. So it meant another drainage procedure, another bag, being sidelined again, more IVs, more blood work. More time staring from a hospital bed at the tiles on the ceiling. But I knew this was my chance to learn the lesson I couldn't seem to grasp the first two times. It was the last and biggest lesson of all, how to overcome myself. And when things are hard, when they're ugly, when they're uncomfortable, we just kind of push that stuff to the side. We suppress it. We try to distract ourselves with work or with shows or with projects or kids or to-do list. Like, okay, not dealing with that. And that's exactly what I had done those first two hospitalizations. I didn't like any of what I was feeling or dealing with, so I just took the intense medicine. I, you know, passed out. I I binged shows. I, I pushed off the real work, the real work that I was being called to do. I had never learned to accept and allow those divinely feminine qualities that I mentioned earlier that we've stopped valuing. I hadn't learned how to just sit with a yucky situation, sit with the fear, sit with the anger, sit with the anxiety of not knowing what was wrong, sit with the physical pain, sit with the bruises on my arms, sit with the five new scars around my stomach, sit with all the life that I was missing outside the walls of my hospital room and just be with it. But up until August, I'd only learned how to work harder to overcome things, push harder, do more, take on this, take on that. More doing was always the remedy for me. But this chapter required me to do the opposite, to lay in it, to sit in it, to bathe in it, to accept what was happening and not let it kill me. And we're talking radical acceptance of a really hard situation. And please understand, There is a distinct difference between accepting what's happening, like in the way that yoga teaches, right? The palms open, ready for what comes, and resigning to a situation. There's a difference there. Resigning is defeat. It's woe is me victimhood. Acceptance is different. It's choosing to stop being bothered by what's happening. Michael Singer has a great book he put out um, earlier this year called Living Untethered. And he just hammers this point over and over and over and over again. He's like, the moment in front of you is not bothering you. This is just the moment. This is just what's happening. You are choosing to be bothered by the moment. So I made a choice when I sat alone again in a hospital bed for the third time in just over two weeks that this time was going to be different. I would never turn on the TV. I wouldn't watch a show. I wouldn't resist what was coming. And this time I was going to allow myself to accept it. I mean, not just allow. I was going to say, like, this is what you've got to do. Like, this is the lesson. So I spent three full days in the hospital that third time. The first day was another drainage procedure, just accepting the pain, accepting the scars, and just being present to what was happening and not trying to run from it or resist it. Just allow it. Be present. And I sat there in the quiet as the noise in my head started to dim to be less and less and less until there was just silence. And silence happens 
when you can be present with a completely silent mind. And when I had finally accepted what was happening to me, choosing to not be bothered by the bruises or the scars or the pain, that's when my mind finally went silent. It wasn't a record player anymore of past or worries about future. It was just now and choosing to live now in the hospital bed. And that's when my mind was silent. I spent the entire second day of my hospital stay in meditation. I laid in bed for 23 hours that day. I listened to guided meditations one after another. Some were healing meditations for my stomach. Some gave healing affirmations. Some walked me through visualization exercises where I imagined myself doing all the physical things I'd be able to do again when I'm healed. I envisioned myself running again. I saw myself in my yoga practice and doing new exercises that I've never been able to do. I saw myself in a sports bra with no shame, even though you could see my new scars. And I was happy because I was finally taking care of myself, not from the purely physical sense, but holistically in three distinct parts, mind, body, soul. And that's what I learned in that third hospitalization. We are all a mix of those three parts, mind, body, soul. I had been overworking my mind, destroying my body, and barely giving any nods to the needs of the soul. And we're always catering to the body too. I mean, like our whole lives are spent this way. We become a servant to it. The body's hungry, the body's tired, the body's in pain, the body has a headache, the body can't stretch that way, the body can't run that far, the body needs medicine. So we make concessions all day for what the body wants. All the body needs is water, first of all, and sleep, actually, second of all, it trumps food, and then food, becomes third. And if you've ever watched someone in the process of slowly dying, they can go weeks and weeks and weeks without eating during their decline. So look at me. What do I need? Water and sleep. I saw my hospitalizations as a chance to recalibrate and remember what I actually needed. And for me, what do I need? Stillness, balance, rest, the things that had been totally absent, I mean, I'm going to say totally absent my entire life. I had to wean myself from body control and mind control. I had to surrender to soul control. And in that third hospitalization, I finally got it right. I had to go to deep meditation and centering, and that allowed me to accept the present and stop being bothered by it. My lack of control was killing me. True wholeness, true wellness, true well-being. Those take all three parts of you into account in equal measure. So yes, we need to take care of the body with food and exercise. Absolutely. Yes, we need to take care of the mind, therapy, sleep, walks to clear our head. But my call to action to you right now is a simple question. How are you feeding your soul? How are you strengthening your intuition? That small voice, that still voice that speaks to you, it may not shout. It may be just a whisper. It's a knowing. It's a feeling. It's an instinct. How are you feeding that? You feed it through acknowledging it, first of all. I've started writing down the times I've gotten an intuition about something. And over time, you start to see how those moments played out and how you can really trust that voice when it just sort of like drops in, gives you something, and like pieces out. Your intuition is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more you listen to it, the stronger it gets, the better you are at knowing when it's that speaking to you, that voice instead of a voice in your head. 
this is what kept me alive multiple times. And it saved me from some pretty bleak health situations because I trusted myself and I listened to my intuition. And I want you to know how to do that. And you can't hear a whisper if your mind is always shouting. Now, eventually, I learned the antibiotic that everyone gets, the one that's standard of care, didn't even touch the bacteria in my abdomen. So they had to do special cultures on the junk that came from my abscess, line it up in Petri dishes in some lab in Nashville to find out what antibiotic would actually kill this crap in my stomach. And thank God they found one that worked. It's really why I've now been out of the hospital for nearly two weeks. And on the very day I'm releasing this episode, I'm back to work. You know, for the first time in a month, it's incredible. But I'm different now. This was a life-changing experience for me. Three hospitalizations, two of which were considered rare and exceedingly rare. And, And the work lingers, okay? I mean, it's not like, hey, you're totally fine, go back. Like, I'm fine enough to work now. But I can't be physically active for another six weeks. And old Lauren would have been really upset about that. But post-abscess Lauren realizes I need to be more soul-led. And to do that, I need to take a step back from what's running my body and my mind. So we're all about lessons, right, this season? So that's what I think the series of hospitalizations was really here to teach me. And I've committed to a few things. Uh, First of all, for these eight total weeks of healing post-hospitalization, I'm taking the time I would usually spend exercising, maybe, you know, 30 minutes to an hour each day, and I'll spend it in meditation. And when I get further along in my recovery, that can become a walking meditation in nature, which is like my heart is there. I love to be in the trees. But I'm not running. I'm not doing my hot yoga practice. I'm not doing anything physical until I've fed my soul and calmed my mind consistently every day. So I can eventually bring exercise back into the picture in a holistic way, not a punishing way, but in a way that strengthens me and doesn't deplete me. Because remember, I can't let the body be in control anymore. I can't let the mind be in control anymore. It has to be soul control. And number two, I've committed to going to therapy uh, to work through some pretty big trauma that just, oh my God, it just became very clear to me. I've had three near-death issues now in my 30s, like I mentioned. So, like, I've compartmentalized. I've tried to push those aside. I should have gotten help for those traumas. I never did. And even at the time, I was like, wow, I should really get help for this. And I just never would go. So this issue, August 2022, this has been the opportunity to really work through some pretty heavy stuff that's really plagued me. It is the record player of so close you could have died or, wow, this is really rare. It's just over and over in my mind that I that causes the noise for me. And it's really impacted me in a way that I I just, I know I can't work through alone and I admit that now. So now I'm getting help. And then lastly, I realized in this hospitalization how powerful I really am. The research is showing consistently that we have the ability to shape our reality through our thoughts and beliefs. And I knew and believed that research and trusted that research even before all of this. But this hospitalization is what put it into practice for me. So I'm spending time now in these remaining six weeks to get really, really clear, like granular about what I want because I can create that. And this is far beyond intention. This is getting really detailed about what I want and why and then how I plan to feel and act once those things are here. Because part of all of that is the belief that you already have those things you desire. So if I desire wellness and wholeness, then how would I act as a well and balanced person? That's what I need to do right now. That's part of how you create it. So when I ask myself, what's the lesson here? 
right? Like that's the point of every single episode this season that I'm going to put out. What's the lesson? What I learned over the course of three weeks is that allowing the body to control you or the mind to control you will never give you the life or the health you want. True wellness is living from within soul control and everything spokes out from there. So if this lesson resonates with you, I invite you, start with the present moment. Start with the things that you're saying, I I can't about, or I I can't take it, I I can't handle that, I can't do it, don't make me do it, I can't. Notice those things, bring awareness to that. And then choose to stop being bothered by that moment in front of you. Choose to be present to it. That's the beginning of turning off all the noise in your head exactly what I had to do in the hospital. And then move into guided meditations. It really helped me. For me, I've used the app Insight Timer, and I actually heard about it um, last year because a couple of my Instigator podcast guests are teachers on Insight Timer. So you basically type in a search for the meditations you want, and then you just listen. You just press play. That's all you're doing, press play. So maybe you want a guided sleep meditation or a walk in nature meditation or a morning manifestation meditation. It's all right there. It's totally free. It's what I used in the hospital. I mean, period, that that is it. It's what helped me clear my mind and get silence. And that's what strengthened my ability to hear my intuition, to feel my heart, to feed my soul. So can you overcome yourself? Can you overcome what your body wants or what your mind is telling you? Maybe you're like me and you need silence. Just rest. Because I'm at the point where I'm saying to myself, How do I live so this never happens again? It means I need to change things moving forward to create balance and wholeness and really consider those words that I kept saying earlier, at what cost? I'm hopeful that you understand how transformational this month of August has been for me. I mean, it's been been life-changing. And my prayer for you is that you don't have to experience something so rare and so severe to find stillness. But I'm grateful that I can share my journey with you and you can learn from it. Coming up next week on Amstigator, you're going to meet two of my best friends here in Nashville. You'll hear how we met, how we support each other, and what lessons we learn from each other all the time. It's a really deep dive into developing adult female friendships that really feed and support you. Remember, we're going all in on women and wisdom this season. So it's really, you know, conversations. This isn't me asking all the questions. They ask me some questions too in this next episode and I'm really excited to share it with you. For now though, I encourage you to lead with your heart, shine your light, and live life purposefully. I'm Lauren Lowry and this is Amstigator. Amstigator.